Well, so far this Friday, the market is making a little bit of a rebound. As we record, the S&P 500 is roughly flat. It's down about a tenth of a percentage point, which is an improvement from yesterday, of course, and uh, definitely an improvement over the overnight market. You know, overnight, it did look like the market was going to be down another percent and a half, something like that, which I was not really that surprised by. And it's the rebound has been kind of a surprise. So we'll see how this uh, lasts or whether it does, but uh, it speaks well of the underlying fundamental strength of the uh, stock market and investors in general. Now, part of what's leading this decline, of course, has been the announcement that there will be, uh, from the White House, that there will be new tariffs on steel of 25% and 10% on aluminum imports. It, which uh, we've had a few questions about this, and I think it's an important one for us to discuss because I, I think a lot of investors had expected that if you uh, tariff uh, 25% on steel, for example, then wouldn't that be good for domestic producers? So let's take an example of this. How about U.S. Steel? So U.S. Steel, the symbol is X, and they have not gone down, but they're roughly flat. So why would this not be a good thing? Well, here's part of the problem is that companies like this are also net exporters. So they will be not only uh, producing for domestic demand, but also sending their goods overseas to either directly, which in US Steel's case has been one of their areas of growth. So when you look at their overall production levels over the last three years, that's where they've been growing. And investors do tend to be really focused on anything, even if it's not most of your revenue, or even if it's a fairly small percentage, which in the case of US Steel it is, they look for that growth. Is it material enough that we can start to see some signs of opportunity and profit uh, growth? And when you tariff things like this, well, that puts U.S. Steel at a disadvantage because we could see reciprocal measures being put into place with other trading partners, so a so-called uh, trade war of some kind. Additionally, you take companies like Alcoa, for instance. So I know a lot of folks have been wondering, why isn't Alcoa doing a little bit better? Now, today is up about a percentage point, but that's not very material. The symbol is AA. And hopefully it makes a little bit more sense when you think about two things, basically. Number one is that domestic demand for aluminum is pretty much tapped out. That There isn't a surplus or a glut of aluminum being produced here domestically that is not being bought up. So there's, it's not like we're seeing dumping of that kind. Additionally, the market these days, it's in fact, when I say these days, I mean over the last uh, 50, 60 years has become progressively more and more international. So Alcoa, most of their production is actually overseas. So they're literally making either uh, mining bauxite or uh, making aluminum in Australia, Brazil, Africa, and then sending it to the U.S. Well, is that subject to the 10% uh, tariff? It, we would assume so. They Right now, we're hearing from Gary Cohn at the White House that, that this is uh, no exceptions to this particular rule. So does it include U.S. companies that are doing business overseas? And what kind of reciprocal uh, punishments or, or reciprocal tariffs are going to be put into place? We have to remember that it is true that uh, the China, for example, they do... Uh, against tariff agree or trade agreements already in place, they, they do subsidize their steel production. So that, that's true. But we also have to remember that there are, of course, industries here in the U.S. that are also heavily subsidized by uh, the U.S. government. So they, these claims go 
both ways. Now, I'm not making a justification one way or the other, other than to understand why is it that this might not wind up being all that great for producers who are relying on exports, as well as certainly those companies that are demanding those uh, products. So take, for example, Ford. Yesterday, Ford sold off pretty aggressively. Uh, not only are auto loan rates hitting a brand new high, but we also their cost of imports is going to go up. And, and the reason for that, because you might think about that and say, well, if you're just tariffing the steel that's being imported into the U.S., then uh, is that really going to affect Ford? Does it just maybe give them an incentive to use domestically produced steel? Well, historically, what happens is that, let's say, for example, that, uh, that you are charging $10 per unit for uh, steel, for raw steel. So I'm just making this easy to, to do our numbers. So $10 per unit to produce steel or to buy steel. And uh, that is the, this uh, dumped steel, this illegally subsidized steel from China. So your domestic producers, they have to have their prices somewhere in that range as well to be competitive. And then you put this big tariff on it. Now it costs twelve fifty for uh, per unit of steel if it's being imported. Well, what, what tends to happen is your domestic producers, they raise their price to nearly that same level. A and they should, because if the price for a competing product goes up, well, then why not raise your price? I mean, your responsibility is to try to maximize your uh, revenue and profitability. So overall, even if you're not subject to the tariffs, let's say if you're a domestic producer, well, you're going to raise your price. Which, again, you might ask, well, then isn't that good for companies like Nucor or U.S. Steel? Well, uh, in a vacuum, maybe, but you have to assume that when you raise your price, the law of supply and demand comes into play here and it reduces demand. So your equilibrium price goes up. The only way to make that happen is if your demand goes down. So again, here we're, we're operating under the the idea that there's not a lot of other external factors that, that are happening at the same time. And so it creates this uh, level of uncertainty where a lot of your steel and aluminum consumers or companies that need that for their production, they wind up getting hurt. UTX is another good example. About half of their business is in aerospace at United Technologies. UTX is their symbol. So about half their business is in aerospace. And of that, about 60% of it is exported. So the cost of their inputs got more expensive with the tariff. And then on top of that, if their exports wind up being uh, tariffed, for example, the exports that they send to Asia, uh, that could be a huge problem. So as a result, investors are looking at that as a potentially weak player in the short term. And so the stock turned lower. Well, that, that, that has a ripple effect around the economy and certainly around the market in the short term as investors are trying to figure out, well, what is the real value of this? And uh, or what is its negative value potentially? And how do we start to price this in? Now, ultimately, I suspect that we may wind up with something that's a little bit less straightforward than what has been announced of just 25% and 10%. Uh, I suspect that some of the pushback that's been coming from Wall Street already may have some influence. Now, I don't know that for sure, but I kind of am leaning that direction. And that may be what investors are thinking today as well as they look at the market and are not sending it all that much uh, lower. So we, we might wind up with a situation that's not as bad, but it's important to recognize, well, why is it that this isn't as straightforward as just additional revenue to the federal government as they tax imports? That, that's why. It, it does tend to be a net negative if we just look at the numbers themselves. And I say this with the understanding that the reason why a lot of investors and consumers just in general or citizens in general are in favor of these kinds of protectionist strategies is that we 
while dumping may make sense from an economic perspective, the dumpee, in this case, the United States, they actually benefit on the aggregate from cheap Chinese steel. Now, I, I say that, but hang on, because we know that it, the reason why people have a bad idea, feeling about it, and this is justified, is that it's really bad for that specific industry. So it's great for construction, it's good for other firms that are using steel as input, input but it's terrible for the industry that they're in. So we have to balance how much we want to have the benefit of cheap subsidized steel versus the negatives of a steel industry that's really struggling. And this would apply to a lot of other industries as well. That that push and pull is totally legitimate and it has to be accounted for. And that there's no real way for us to be able to do that or for the government to be able to do that without some knock-on effects that can be negative for the market. And that's probably where this volatility is coming from right now. So I'm opti more optimistic today for a short-term bounce than I was yesterday, but we, we really need, I think, probably the weekend to hear a little bit more communication from the White House and its representatives to really understand, okay, is there any exceptions to this? And ultimately, are, are we going to see some kind of reciprocal punishments coming from Europe, who's already threatened that, and China that might wind up hurting us and maybe motivate uh, some changes to this uh, ruling or, or this plan that will make the effect a bit less dramatic? The other thing that I'm watching today is an announcement that came out of the Bank of Japan where Governor Kuroda announced that they are going to start looking at winding down their quantitative easing program in April of 2019. So they have certainly given us a long run so they have certainly given us a long runway to start thinking about this, but I would say this is the last major central bank that everybody has been waiting on to see when they were going to turn the corner in terms of winding down their quantitative easing programs. We know the Federal Reserve has done it. They're already starting to wind down their balance sheet, let alone reducing the amount of quantitative easing that they were injecting into the economy. The European Central Bank has done it. The Bank of England has done it. And now, finally, we are getting some hard dates being floated out there by the Bank of Japan of when they are going to start winding down their quantitative easing program. And every time we hear these announcements from these central banks, it sparks a little bit of nervousness in the market, wondering how is the economy going to react to this and how are the financial markets going to react to this news? Because the Bank of Japan has been a primary driver in this quantitative easing process, not only for the Japanese economy, but also for the U.S. equities markets, as traders have been engaging in a carry trade where they have shorted the Japanese yen and used those proceeds to buy U.S. dollar-denominated assets for years now. And uh, traders have been wondering when that might start to turn around. And so if you look at the relationship between the yen and the dollar, and you can do this with a proxy ETF, the ticker symbol is FXY, this is the Currency Shares Japanese Yen Trust, you can see that the value of this ETF is moving higher, which indicates that the yen is getting stronger. And there is a level, it's a longer term level here at about $96 that a lot of traders are watching, myself included, as a potential trigger point for the unwinding of this carry trade, which to unwind this carry trade would force traders to sell their U.S. dollar denominated assets, which in a large portion of these cases are actually U.S. stocks, 
and they would have to sell those stocks to raise the capital to cover their short yen position. And so if that happens, if we start to see a squeeze on these carry traders, now that could accelerate some selling in the U.S. equities market. So we are a ways away from that right now. FXY is currently trading just below $91. But if we look at that chart and watch at 96, that's going to be a key level for us. And this comes at a time when traders are also concerned about margin debt levels. We just got the numbers for January this week and uh, FINRA says that margin debt levels rose to 665 billion dollars uh, that is up year over year from last January where it was 553 billion of 112 billion dollars so almost a 20 percent increase year over year and if traders start getting squeezed out of those margin positions as well and we get some knock-on effects from a squeeze on the carry trade at some point in the future that could have some negative ramifications for us. And that's why the announcement from the Bank of Japan today is important. Has it sent the market crashing lower today? No, but it is definitely something for us to put on our longer term horizon, especially now that we have the specified date of April of 2019 of when the Bank of Japan may start winding down its quantitative easing program. You better believe that the market is going to start responding to that before April of 2019. And it'll be interesting to see just how dramatically they do so. So we'll keep you posted here in the podcast and, of course, each trading day in the Daily Market Commentary. If you have any comments or questions for us, please feel free to reach out at podcasts at learningmarkets.com. And for those of you who are following us on iTunes, we always appreciate those positive reviews. Thanks.